Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are joining us from your home today. Um, loads of love from me, from us to you as we celebrate. And I definitely want to say a very special shout out to the moms that are uh, near and dear to my heart and in my life, to my dear wife, Natalie, uh, to my mom, um, to my mother-in-law, Kathleen, to my stepmother-in-law, Kathy. Uh, loads of love. Happy Mother's Day to each of you. Let's bow our heads together and our hearts as we pray and come to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the moms that have had such an impact on so many of our lives and this chance we have today to celebrate and honor and give thanks to you for them. Uh, we do give thanks for the precious gifts that uh, each of these uh, women have been on our lives. And we ask now as you uh, guide us in your word that the words of my mouth and the reflections and meditations of our hearts as we open up your word would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About five years ago, uh, I had the chance to travel to Egypt and actually go visit one of the, the great wonders of the world that I am sure all of us have seen pictures of and can visualize, the pyramids. In, in fact, actually, I got to go on that uh, you know, tourist trap adventure where you climb right into the center of the great pyramid to the tomb chamber in the middle of it. And uh, I'm a little bit of an engineering and architectural geek, I confess. And I remember sitting, standing in the, the middle of this pyramid in the, in the desert in Egypt, and just, it's, it's mind-blowing, honestly. The, these gigantic limestone blocks that have been cut out. And, and each one of them that make up the walls of this pyramid uh, inner chamber had to be at least the size of like cargo vans, if not bigger, each block. And perfectly cut smooth, perfectly landing. You could barely get your fingernail in between the lines, the joints between rock upon rock. And it, it makes you wonder. And I, I mean, for, for centuries, for thousands of years, there's just been all kinds of just marveling at this incredible architectural feat that was done thousands and thousands of years ago. How on earth do you cut? Not with, you know, like any modern technology way back then. How on earth did they cut these massive blocks of limestone? Well, the way they did it actually was quite ingenious and incredibly simple. What they did was they drilled these holes, these small little holes into strategic pots on the limestone. And then they would put a wedge inside of the stone hole and start to hammer the wedge in. And as they hammered that wedge in bit by bit, this tiny small hole with a tiny small wedge getting hammered deeper and deeper would eventually slice this gigantic, monumentally strong piece of limestone into pieces like sliced bread. It's really quite incredible. A super small hole with a super small wedge can turn this massive, impenetrable rock into little pieces. Over the last number of months, we as a church have been studying through an incredible book in the Bible. It's called the Book of Romans. It was a letter written 
to a group of believers, much like us, but a couple thousand years ago in the ancient city of Rome. There's a letter written unpacking this amazing, glorious, wonderful news of the gospel that that God sent his son to lay down his life to rescue and make it possible for a people to be rescued by Jesus, by his death and his resurrection if we put our faith in him. It's this incredible message, this good news gospel message that's intended to strengthen us, to make us a, a solid, impenetrable rock, this massive force that is united and strengthened together. But all it takes is a little hole and a little wedge in that hole to get hammered. And just like those limestone blocks, thousands of years ago with those workers in Egypt, the massive, strong, impenetrable rock that God desires to build, which is us, the church, can be split like sliced bread as those wedges get hammered. Today, our text of Scripture is calling us, it's warning us to help us not let those little holes get little wedges that get hammered in and, and, and rip apart our relationships, rip apart our families, rip apart our homes, rip apart our church. Our text is focused on one thing. One thing, which is these wedges that come in and create division, and split apart. What's that one thing today? It is this, being right. Our text is all about today being right. God's word begs us to ask a question today. What's more important to you, being right or helping build someone up? That's the question that jumps off the pages of God's word for you to ask yourself today, for me to ask myself today. The desire, the craving, the longing, the demand, I must be right, is a wedge that the devil would love to stick into these little holes within us and hammer and hammer, and hammer, till we are split apart like a loaf of sliced bread. But here's the goal. Here's the goal of God's word for us today. If that's the danger, the goal is this, that discipleship is not about, the call of God is to say, being a disciple together, doing discipleship, it's not about being right, but meeting others where they are at to help build one another up. Discipleship is not this competition to be right, but it's actually meeting others where they're at and seeking to build each other up. So we're in Romans chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, God's word says, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge 
someone else's servant. To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You can envision this danger going on, perhaps, within your small group, between two people who have some challenges and struggles and differences of opinion that sit around the table each week in your home. You can picture this perhaps in your own home, a fracture between two people under the same roof who come at a particular issue with differences of opinions. You can picture this within our church. That person sitting on the other side of the auditorium, that person a few rows up in front of you who won't look at you or you can't look at them because of the tension that is so thick you could cut it with a knife. There's tension going on. There's a hole that's been drilled into the rock. And the enemy wants to get a wedge in there and start hammering it. Now, it's super important as we reflect on this to, to right off the bat get two things really clear. First, we need to be really clear who Paul has in mind about the issues that he is talking about. The first thing we need to be really clear about is the people that he is talking to. This section here is very clear that it is written to followers of Jesus. Three things tell us this in these first couple of verses. First, it speaks of, in both verse 1 and verse 2, it speaks of their faith. Now, yes, one has a stronger faith, one has a weaker faith. And in other words, one is more mature, one is less mature. But they both have faith in Jesus. These are followers of Jesus. It, it says in verse 3, remember, God has accepted him. Which again is to say, we're talking about followers of Jesus here. It says in verse 4, it talks about each person being God's servant, going to stand before God. Which again is just helping to make this crystal clear. We are talking about followers of Jesus. Second thing we need to make crystal clear is what the issues that we are talking about here in this portion of God's word. We need to be clear on the issues that are in mind here. At the end of verse 1, it, it makes this comment. We see this is talking about disputable matters. Disputable matters. That's a key word if you're underlining in your Bible to underline, circle that word right there. These are matters, disputable matters, are opinions, issues that there is there's debate on. These are things where two legitimate followers of Jesus land on one side and the other and have a difference of opinions. They are in different spots. These disputable matters, these disputable issues are like holes in the rock. There's nothing inherently wrong with the fact that there is this hole here. The danger is when the wedge gets stuck in there and it starts getting hammered. That's when the real problem starts to happen and the split will start to occur. It's okay for these disputable matters to exist, but the danger is they can very easily and quickly become the places of division and schism. In the, in the context of our study in this book of Romans, we have seen come up over and over and over again that there are these two groups within the church in Rome when it was written, this letter was written. There are these Jewish background followers of Jesus and there are these Gentile, non-Jewish 
background followers of Jesus. And, and there's this rub that's going on in this church because of that. The, the brothers and sisters who are from a Jewish background grew up in Jewish families, had Jewish practices, had Jewish traditions that were associated with them that they are bringing into their newfound faith as they trust in Jesus. Same for the Gentiles. They have their own background, their own history, their own backstory, their own baggage that they're coming in. And now there's certain points where these Jews and these Gentiles are coming and their backstories and their baggage is causing them to land in these disputable matters. We're not talking about whether Jesus really is God. We're not talking about are they sincere believers in Jesus. We've already clarified the people are followers of Jesus. But there are these disputable matters that, that they are trying to wrestle through. Two biggies for them we see here in our text what you eat and how you view your week okay these are two biggies in their church what you eat and how you view and understand the days of your week for us like these probably are not that big of a deal but these were huge for them back then first of all what do you eat what meat can you eat was a huge deal for them because jews maybe you know this, do not eat pork, okay? They, they do not eat pork because it is not only unclean and, and gross, it is, it is considered by them condemned by God. They would look at a number of different texts in, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that would say, you are not to eat this. They would look at it and say, this is gross. And it is condemned by God. It is poisoned. It is vile. It is... And so, I, you know, I've traveled a little bit around the world. Maybe you have as well and come to some different spots where there's some pretty nasty food. I remember going to this one spot over in Asia where the, the delicacy of choice in this particular city was donkey burgers. They were gross. They were gross. But everyone ate them there. And I went there and I was like, mm, right? That's kind of like what the Jews are feeling here. But it's more than just like eating pork is gross. It was actually the sense of this is wrong before God. This is wrong to eat this before God. On the other side, though, the Gentiles, who are probably a lot like all of us, were like, what's the big deal? Like, bacon, I would be of the opinion that would say, every single meal in the entire universe is made better by adding bacon. That would be my personal perspective. And so I look at that and I'm like, what's the big deal? What's the problem? I grew up eating bacon my whole life and bacon is fantastic. And so you've got this issue where the Jews and the Gentiles are at loggerheads with one another. This is what's going on. I mean, understand that backstory and now read verse two with me again. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. That's what it's talking about here. There's also this other big question for them about which day do you worship on? How do you understand the days of your week? How, how do you deal with each particular? Jews worshipped on the Sabbath, which for them was Saturday. That was the day, Old Testament Sabbath. Sabbath it's set apart. It's sacred you, you don't do anything other than worship on that day. You rest, you don't work, you, you set that whole day apart. Gentiles, I mean, they didn't have 
Sabbath rhythms. They didn't have Sabbath rules. They didn't have Sabbath regulations and um, practices that they had been carried on for their whole lives. Very early on in the church, within the first few decades, the, the day of worship services for the church moved from Saturday over to Sunday. That's surely part of what's going on here, the spread to the Gentiles. But then the Gentiles also looked at it and said, you know, God's made all the days and we need to worship him in all the days. There's not one day that's set apart sacredly. And so again, verse five, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. This is, this is what it's talking about. This is what's going on for Paul as he's writing to this particular church. These issues for them, can you eat meat or not? Can you, do you have to practice Sabbath or not? Are disputable matters. Again, these are not things whether defining whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. These are not the core of our faith. These are things where two Jesus-loving, Bible-honoring Christians can look at it and say, we land in a different spot. We probably are not dealing with bacon and Sabbath. But we, as Jesus followers, absolutely today in 2023 still have these issues. We still have these disputable matters that happen amongst us. I mean, should you get vaccinated or should you not? Should you wear a mask or should you not? I'm sorry, am I bringing up some trauma from the past? Are these not disputable matters we walk through? Should you send your kids to Christian school, public school, or should you homeschool them? What's the right answer? Is it okay for you to drink alcohol in moderation or should you not touch the stuff at all? How old is the earth? How about that one? Let's have a little sit down and talk about that. Some Christians, should you do yoga? Can you participate in martial arts or not? I mean, I could go on and on with lots of different issues like this. That's just a few that pop into my mind immediately. And, and you need to realize here, you need to realize that Paul's original context and any of the things I've just mentioned, the question is not, how strong do you feel about this? I mean, there's a lot of people that feel really strong about a lot of those things I just mentioned, myself included about some of those. The question is not how deeply convinced of your particular position are you? That's not the question we're looking at here. The depth of your passion is not the question. The level of commitment to the particular side of this is not the question. The roots or the history or the backstory behind this is not the question. The devil wants to find these holes and stick wedges in them, and God wants to speak to that danger to us today. God wants to protect us from incredible rifts and splits that can happen between us and our small groups, us as a church, us and our families and in our homes and in so many other places. So what are we supposed to do when these disputable matters come up, these holes are identified, and there is this temptation to want to stick a wedge in there and figure out who's right. What are we supposed to do? 
Well, two things come out of our text. First thing, God tells us this, accept those whom God has accepted, even if you're in a different spot. It's a challenging word for us today, friends. Accept those whom God has accepted, even if you're in a different spot. I mean, this comes right out of the very first verse. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Your, your brother or sister in the Lord, if you are in a different spot with them, okay, accept them. Welcome them. Receive them in. Come alongside of them. It's easy when you see someone who isn't seeming to be as mature as you think you are to start looking down your nose at them. But then, ironically, it's so easy to flip that around almost instantaneously. And who of us ever thinks we are the weaker brother? We always are able to pick out, oh, they're the weaker one over there, presuming, of course, that I'm the stronger one, right? Because I could poss never possibly be on the other side of this. Verse 3 tells us, though, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. The man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? We look down on others so easily. We look down on others so easily. What's wrong with them? Why do they have such archaic thinking? Are you serious? What's wrong with her? How could she be so foolish and blind? Notice what, notice what God challenges us here with, though, as these thoughts pop into our heads. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? God calls us out and asks this question. Who, who are you? Who are you to judge someone else's Servant, that person over there that you are thinking of on the other side of the room, that person over there that drives you crazy when you see them in the supermarket, that person over there, they, they don't report to you, God says. They report to me. You aren't their boss. You aren't their, their judge. They aren't your servant. They stand, I stand, you stand, we all stand, not before anyone else on this earth, but before God. Verse 6, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord and he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Why do we accept others? Why do we accept others if they land in a different spot than us? Because God has accepted them. Because they belong to the Lord. Because Jesus died for them and they are going to stand before God. Not before me or before you. We are each God's servant and we will each give an account to him for how we live our lives. Verse 9, for this very reason, 
Christ died. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. That is to say, the Lord of everyone. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Here's here's what happens. Let me lift the lid a little bit on our hearts when we start looking down upon others. What's going on there? When, When that wedge gets in the hole and we start hammering it, when we start demanding, I know I'm right and I need them to know I'm right. See, in my heart, when that happens, here's Here's under the hood what's going on. I'm believing I am their ruler. When I look down on others, I am, whether I say it out loud or it's not even consciously doing it, but I'm subconsciously in my broken heart convinced of this, I'm saying I am God. And I know what they are supposed to be doing. Some of us need to hear this and embrace a spot of way more humility, brothers and sisters. Because I am actually not God over you, and I have actually been acting and thinking like I am. And if that's the case, then what I need is a giant dose of repentance and humility. Some of us need eyes to see the blind spots in our own lives, to see the the yoke upon our own faces, so to speak. See, if you feel this consuming need to prove you are right, there is a very good chance you have started to step on some toes you should not be walking on, friend. And what you need to pray for is, God, give me the eyes to see the giant plank stuck in my own eye right now. Because because as much as I am looking at them and saying, how could they possibly do that, think that, live that way, my thoughts looking down on them are actually pride in my own heart, which God needs to bring conviction and brokenness in me over. The problem isn't them, it's me. Some of us here, friends, need God to break in and bring some humility and repentance. Some others of us, you need God to speak a word of freedom over your life. See, because there's some who you've got like this record playing on repeat in your head of someone else's voice. I don't know who it is for you, but you know what I'm talking about if you have this going on, where you just keep hearing that voice over and over and over again, telling you how this is what you need to do to be a better mom. This is what you need to do to be a better person. Don't go over there. Don't wear that. Don't look this way. Don't act that way. Don't be in that position. 
and you hear this record on repeat over and over and over again in your head, and what's going on is you are sitting under someone else's voice as if they are God in your life, and they're not, friends. They are not. You need freedom to be spoken into your life. There is no other voice on this earth that is the one you report to except the Lord Almighty. You are his servant and his servant alone. And all those other voices, whoever they are and whatever they are saying, they're not your Lord, friend. They are not your ruler, dear brother and sister. They are not the dictator of your conscience. They are not the determiner of your rights. They are not the one you report to. Only one voice matters. Only one voice you will stand before at the end of all time. And so let me say this again, because this is so important. The point isn't how firmly you believe these issues. That's not the point of our text. You can be totally convinced about some of these issues. You can be adamantly vocal about some of these issues. That's not the point. The point is, accept those whom God has accepted, even if you land in a different spot. When all you're concerned with is about being right, you're going to fracture everything around you. We've been accepted by Christ. We will be held accountable as his servants one day, Accept those whom God has accepted. Now let's keep looking in our text to our second point. It continues, verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regard something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother whom, for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Here's the second big takeaway for us. Love those whom God has accepted, even if it costs you. Love those who God has accepted, even if it costs you. There's a profound insight here, friends. Paul was sure he knew what was right. This whole debate going on between Jews and Gentiles and can you eat bacon? He knew what the answer was. He, he, he knew. He said, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean. I, I know exactly what the answer is to this whole debate. You can eat bacon all day long. There's nothing wrong with it. God came. He said in the new covenant, it's fine. All food can be eaten. He's like, I know what the right answer is. Some of us look at these issues and we are convinced we know exactly what the right answer is. Well, I know what the right answer is about drinking. 
I know what the right answer is about what kind of songs we should sing when we gather together at church. I know what the right answer is about how a church service should be run. I know what the proper way to raise and discipline and disciple your children is. I am fully convinced I know exactly what the answer to these questions is. Okay, you're fully convinced. You may even be right. But do you know... That doesn't matter. Did you know that you can be right and still be wrong? Did you know you can be right and yet still be wrong? You can be wrong even if you're right. Sometimes being right causes us, as verse 13 says, to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in our brother or sister's way. Sometimes we can do things, we can cling to our rights, we can do things that cause others to stumble and struggle. It causes them, verse 15 says, great distress. Get, get this, it actually says, by demanding my rights and I am right, verse 15 says, it can destroy your brother for whom Christ died. That same thing's repeated again in verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food's clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. In the case of Paul 2,000 years ago, back in you know, ancient Rome, the issue really wasn't, can I eat bacon or not? Is it clean or not? He says no food is unclean in and of itself. All food is clean. That's the truth. You're, you are right if you say eating bacon is fine. But doing that can actually destroy a brother or sister's faith. Eating that, even though it's right, can actually rip them apart. If you eat bacon when your brother sees that you are not supposed to, you are undercutting your claim to love others ahead of yourself as Jesus loved you. If, if you see that that's causing your brother to stumble and he does not see it the same way as you and you keep doing it, you are ignoring the reality that he is in process and so are you by the Spirit of God working in you. If you persist in doing what you demand and even are right in knowing is right, but it's causing your brother or sister to stumble, you forget that every issue you've now figured out, you didn't always have figured out. And right at this very moment, there are things you don't have figured out. If you persist in saying, I demand being right and getting my rights over top of your sister or your brother, you are pushing that dear brother or sister to disobey the conviction that they sense is from the Lord. And how? How could we possibly do that to someone we call a brother or a sister? How can we possibly be so selfish, so self-absorbed, so consumed with being right 
demanding my own rights, so convinced in our own pride that this world is all about me and not about others. How could we do that, friends? What's more important to you today, brother? On this day, dear sister, what's more important to you? Being right or building your brother or sister up? What's the bigger priority for you? The yearning to be right is like this wedge that gets stuck in these holes and we start banging and banging and banging. And I'm going to tell you how it goes. The split is going to come. Relationships are going to get ripped apart every time we demand my rights. Churches are going to get ripped apart every time we demand. Families are going to get ripped apart. Homes are going to get ripped apart. We're going to get split like a loaf of sliced bread. The transformed life that we've been learning about and talking about rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ that leads us to say, I offer my body up as a living sacrifice. I lay my life down. I belong to you, not myself. I will use my spiritual gifts to serve others, not myself. I will not look more highly upon myself than I ought. I will submit to the governing authorities that God has put. This is all radically transformed thinking that only comes by the example of Jesus and by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit as we embrace the gospel. And it leads us to say, amen to verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to the peace and to the mutual, mutual edification. Because discipleship, brother to brother, sister to sister and brothers, It's not about being right, friends. This isn't a competition to see who wins and gets to demand their rights. Discipleship, transformed love, not conformed living, gospel-rooted transformation, lay your life down on the altar, says, I am here not to be right, but to build you up. It's better not to eat meat, or drink wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. I could eat. I could drink. I could sing. I could do this. I could do that. I could demand my rights. But Christ laid down his rights and his very life for you and for me. And he calls us to walk in step with him. So verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith and everything he does that does not come from faith is sin. As we saw last week, we must study the word. We must invite the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. And then we must follow as he leads, looking to our brothers and our sisters to lift them up.